speaking to you about money. You might be thinking, why? Why were you chosen to speak about money? Oh, you didn't know? I have two terminal degrees in fine arts. <laughs> that's right? No? Okay. Um, yeah, that's not why. Um, but it is, it is something that I am excited to speak about. Why? I, th I think this was referenced last last Sunday, like why is it exciting to speak about money? Well, money is something that you all think about pretty much all the time, right? Like is it, is it every day that you think about money? Either having it, not having it, wanting it, right? It's, it's a driving force. We are all thinking about money. If something has that much presence in our lives, and not speaking about it, do you realize who gives the power away on that? You give the power to whom? To, to the enemy, right? to, to money. It's like, oh, well, as long as we don't talk about it, right? Isn't that also why it's taboo to talk about your salary with your coworkers? Who does it give the power to? The employer, right? <laughs> so like, talk about money so that you can be in control of it. Otherwise, it will be in control of you, like it probably often is. I'm not speaking to you as from a position that I don't have these same struggles. I'm right there with you, okay? Remember, terminal degrees in fine arts, okay? I'm not coasting. All right, um, but the excitement is that when Ernie said, hey, you're gonna talk about money, here's some verses in Proverbs, he didn't realize that if you take these verses, these five verses I'm gonna read to you, put them in the original Hebrew, arrange them in a word find, you end up with the code of how to get rich. <laughs> Are you ready? All you gotta do is apply some number stuff, you know, like, you know, some backwards logic, and there you go, stock picking. That's what we're doing today. So, also, that's not true. If, if what I just said got you excited, we should have a further conversation about what the Bible is not intended to do. If that got you like, whoa, I'm really cautious, like, all right, don't worry, you'll be fine. Because we're actually going to be talking about why money is the root of all evil and why it's best to be poor. Remember, Jesus had no place to lay his head. He roamed homeless. Why are you not homeless? Here you are on the 4th of July, the richest nation of the world's history, thinking, oh, yes, we're God's chosen, and yet you are so rich. Nope, that's also not what we're talking about. Sorry, just took you the other direction. So yeah, there's lots of ways that you've heard sermons about money go. It's not any of that. That's not what we're talking about today. Why? Money is a driving thought. It is a tool. It is a tool to use. Let's read a few of these verses in Proverbs. Oh, I had an introduction. I didn't read any of that. Okay, all right. Proverbs 10, 15 through 16. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. The wage of the righteous leads to life. The gain of the wicked to sin. 11.4. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. 11.7, when the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. 11.24 through 26, one gives freely 
yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. 18, 10 through 12. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. 30, 8 through 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. All right, so there we go. Pretty clear, right? Everyone's got everything you need to know about money from that. But you can see there's a lot going on. You might have already picked up a few things in here. It doesn't say that money makes you evil or that it makes you good. The wages of the wicked right, lead to sin. The wages of the righteous lead to righteousness. Wealth provides a means. It's a tool. It's a means to achieve what's already conceived in your heart and mind. And so rather than thinking of money is the answer to make me holy, I need to have the right amount of this so that I can be holy. No, that's not where it begins. It begins in your heart and your mind. Right? So, that needs wisdom. Right? I mean, did, did you also hear at the end there, um, the high, or the, the, a strong city, a high wall in his imagination? We, we see that this is a tool. We, we can have it be a catalyst. It can move us towards things, but it can also, if we put it in the wrong priority, it can become the deceptive illusion. Right? This idea that, oh, if I have the right view of money, then I'll be able to make the right choices. Like, if, if I have enough money, then I'll be able to do all of these good things. Has anyone ever thought that? Oh, man, if I were rich, I'd be able to do so much good. All right, maybe. Maybe you would. But not because you're rich, right? If, if it's already in your heart to serve yourself and now you have the means to do it, you know who you're gonna serve? Not your neighbor, right? So we need wisdom. Wisdom is how we're gonna know what to do with money. How do we even look at it or think about it? Wisdom is talked a lot about in Proverbs. Proverbs 9.10 we're told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, in an effort to gain wisdom to better make use of this seemingly very useful tool, let's talk about the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, my hope is that we're going to be using this to develop a lens through which we can see what's said about money all throughout the Bible. And does the Bible say a few things about money? Yeah. It, th there are plenty of things that aren't explicitly clear in the Bible, right? Like, what's your view on combustion engines? Doesn't, nope, nothing, not a word. But it says so much about money. So let's work on this lens through which we can look at the Bible and start seeing this. So this, this is going to 
we're going on a little bit of a journey here. Threw a bunch of proverbs at you. Now we're gonna jump around a bit. There's gonna be an art history lesson in the middle because you know, gotta, gotta use those degrees. And, um, and then we're gonna use this lens and look at just a bunch of verses. Sorry, Nick, for like 20 slides of verses. So that's, right, we're going on this together. The fear of the Lord. Um, Ernie talked about this when he started, started the series on Proverbs. That was a good sermon. You should listen to it. If you didn't already, go back to that one. Let's, let's think about this. All right. In, in Hebrew, um, when it says the fear of the Lord, that word fear is the word yirah. And this word on its own, it can be joined with other words. Sometimes they'll put it with a word that means respect, and together that means awe. Right? Okay, so we've got this, this word fear. The way it's translated into our language, you generally think, oh, that's, that's a negative connotation, right? You don't want to be afraid. Fear is not of the Lord, right? I'm not living in fear, living in victory. Like, yeah, okay, now. But what does this really mean? The 10th century Jewish philosopher Moses van Mamon, he referred to this word, because they've been talking about this for a long time, um, as being a positive command. The, it, it's about the feeling of human insignificance after you're contemplating or overwhelmed by God's great and wonderful actions and creations. And this was also mentioned, remember when Ernie was talking about the, the number of stars in the universe? Yes, and he, and I, he didn't even know, but he said it's, it's an astronomical number. Like, yes, it is, literally. Very good. <laughs> um, but th that's it, okay, so we can picture this, this I'm overcome by the power, the majesty of God. This is a, this is a driving force of the fear of the word. This, this got me thinking about words. So now I've got a little, little pop quiz for you. What does the word terrific mean? Go ahead, shout it out, terrific. Yeah, right? Okay, no. But what about awesome? Yeah, okay, so all, all variations of good, right? That's terrific. Yes, I've put that on children's papers before, a little sticker that says terrific. Terrific. Does that remind you of any other words? Terrifying. Terrible. Yes. How about awesome? Filled with awe. You can't speak. You are not a ninja turtle. You are dumbstruck. <gasps> awesome. All right, how about the word sublime? When was the last time you heard the word sublime? Don't mention the band from the 90s. I don't want to hear it. In reference to chocolate. Does anyone ever that? Like, oh, this is just sublime. This, oh, I want to eat more of this. Sublime. This is the word I'm going to talk about. Sublime. This is where we're going to get into our um, art history lesson. So, like all so many words, right? Over time, they just get emptied of meaning. They all just become some variation of good. How many ways can you say that something is good? Like, oh, it's the bee's knees. Oh, that's rad. That's hip. That's cool. That's, like, they just keep going throughout the centuries. But we are going to talk about beginning with Edmund Burke. That's right, Irish statesman and philosopher. I think I have a picture of Edmund Burke, maybe. Did I put that one in there? I don't know. If you, there he goes. Yep. That's, 
That's Edmund Burke. He wrote a book in 1757, and obviously, judging by the title, this is a bestseller, A Philosophical Inquiry into the Origin of Our Ideas of the Sublime and Beautiful. Um, so yeah, what is the sublime? He wrote about it. He talked about the sublime is the strongest emotion the mind is capable of feeling. In his writings, there was a lot of focus on terror and pain. That is where it began. But why? He said, this is where you find the limit of what you can feel. Like your whole mind and body is occupied by this sensation. This is the sublime. His writing went on to inspire a lot of people throughout the Romantic era, uh, the Victorian and Romantic eras of art, and they started seeing this as being like what I was talking about with Yira. Um, this will, when we are looking at a storm or a Grand Canyon. We have this sense. So let's look at some pictures. Um, I think we've got Caspar David Frederick coming up first. There we go. This is, if, I mean, if you just did like a Google image of sublime painted, like you'll probably somewhere along the lines get to this picture. Wanderer above the sea of fog. Here is a, another gentleman contemplating the world and seeing the vastness. Here's um, Turner's. Well, sorry, the next one. Turner's, um, which one was it? Snowstorm? Yep, Hannibal and the army crossing the Alps. Like, nature is, is against this army. Here's one of the strongest armies in the nation, but nature might destroy them. Right. Next one, we've got uh, another one from Turner, the shipwreck. There's, quite a, there's a lot of these, like crashing ships. It was a big deal for that time period. But again, like, this is immense. We have nothing compared to the power of nature. They're giving credit to nature and the creator. Right? Next up comes John Martin and the great day of his wrath. I mean, this is literally just a depiction of the judgment of God. It's coming and we have nothing. Right? So this is where the sublime began. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we carried on into mid-century and we get into stuff that will probably lose a lot of you here. Um, Rothko, has anyone ever heard of Mark Rothko? Barnett Newman, Clifford Still, all those guys. Okay, there we go. Now, this was after the discussion of the sublime and creator and all of that had fallen out of fashion. Um, Nietzsche was to blame for some of that. Different conversation. But these guys were now talking about the, this fear of the void this existential fear. Like, but I, there is nothing holding me. I'm just on the verge of nothingness. That's terrifying. And so they were presenting this as, do you feel this? You feel this immense void that surrounds your existence, okay? Like, so we still got a variation of it. I think I got a Giacometti coming up next. A sculptor, that's right. You get the feeling of like, yeah, I am being swallowed up by the nothingness that surrounds me. There we go. Got the idea of terrifying? Like, you have nothing to save yourself. You, 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 don't even, you don't even have to give God credit. You will be destroyed by all that surrounds you. You feel that? It's a little bit scary, yeah. That's why we use money as an insulator to protect us from this constant fear, like that life will destroy us. This is that, that sense, that sublime. But 
this is that combination of fear and awe. We, we can look at something like a tornado, an earthquake, or the coming judgment of God with fear and awe. It's amazing. You can't control it. You can't conceive it. It's everything and you are nothing. That's the sublime, okay? Now, again, this, this lens reworked here. The beauty of this is, think about the gospel for a moment. We are fallen, buried in sin, deserving death, helpless in our sin. And yet our creator, this same one that we are recognizing the severity and the immensity of, came down, became man, lived and died for us, conquered death for us, gave us the presence of the spirit to indwell us and promised us life eternal. <laughs> right, like how does that, all right, Think about this sublime. Yes, I'm not going to cry, but I'll get close, okay? Like, think about that. That's the sublime, right? Rothko, oh, nice try. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I do understand the fear of the void, the nothingness that could swallow me, but I have so much more. I have this gift, this indwelling, when Jesus left, he said, it is best that I leave. Another one will come to be with you. We don't have to travel to find Jesus. His spirit is with us. We have a gift. And this is a gift that we are now given to share. That's our perspective. What matters? That. Can anyone name anything that matters more than that? No. No. So did we work down to the foundation? Are we down on the bottom floor now? And you're feeling sturdy there. Right? We're not building houses on sand. This is the rock. Now we can build, okay? That's the sublime. So next time you read some, some chocolate wrapper, yeah, you know I like chocolates. So I read a lot of these wrappers. Like, oh, the sublime experience. Like, yeah, you got nothing. I'll tell you about sublime. <clears throat> We aren't in control. We don't have the power to save ourselves or even to really provide for ourselves. We are, even still now, often tossed around by the waves of our own fickle desires. Happy Fourth of July, we live in the richest nation in history, um, but we're still thrown around by our fickle and changing desires. Now, do you genuinely trust yourself to make all the right decisions regarding money? I, I don't trust myself to make all the right decisions regarding money. Do I know why I don't trust myself? Because my track record shows that I shouldn't be trusted with that. Um, but again, I assume that all of you, if you're honest, will recognize the same thing, right? So where do we begin? We're back down to the ground floor. We're looking at our heart. What have we placed as most important in our hearts? Right? From the heart flows. <laughs> like, this is what we need to look at. 
So let's remember the fear of the Lord. Will you have the Lord be the king of your heart? We must humble ourselves to receive the right perspective. With the right perspective, what can we see? Let's begin with a few general guidelines, and now we're just getting into a lot of different verses. Again, thanks, Nick, for your hard work. All right. You must be humble. That that should just be part of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Humility. What was that verse? uh, Was it the last one I read in Proverbs? No, second last, 18, 10 through 12, right, is in verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And it's often the Bible is talking about God brings the proud low and raises up the humble. Humility is where we must begin. If you think that you know everything, you know what you know? Nothing. Right? You must begin and constantly return to humility, surrender. If you ever have a trouble thinking, why, why should I be so humble? Remember the sublime. What do you have? All right? Has anyone ever read Job? Where were you when the foundations of the earth were laid? What do you have to offer? Nothing that isn't given to you. Humility, it's a good place to begin. Romans 1, 21 through 22 For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Sound like anyone you know? I don't know. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. That's what you're at risk of. That's what we all are constantly flirting with. We think that we know we've lost everything. Revelations 4.11 Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. That's our priority. Start with humility. Next up, Jesus is our wisdom. We need wisdom? Jesus is our wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 through 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In case you're wondering, that's from Jeremiah 9. So when it says, as it is written, it already was written. Okay. But like, there it is. What are we boasting in? The only thing worth, worth boasting in, God. He deserves all of it. God is generous, and we should follow his example. Everything that you have is because it was given to you by God. That's the beauty of nature. It's a gift, all of it. He gives to us and expects us to care for others. Earlier when I was talking about, you know, he who waters has watered himself, he withholds grain, Remember that? Okay, let's look at Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. This is still talking about the the law. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. 
that it's put there right in the law. I've given you everything you need and more. That more, it's not for you. And what I really like is that it's not explicit here, but that very ending part, like, well, why? I am the Lord your God. Oh, okay, that's the reason. Got it. And remember, this verse is also, uh, it was the impetus for the story of Ruth, which ended up, you know, literally saving an entire nation. It's like, hey, good things come from this, right? He is generous. He gives us all we need. We should be generous with all that we have. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. I forgot forgot where that, as it is written, is from. All right, moving on. But again, we had a law, and now we're told, it's, it's not even a law. This is just something that's in your heart. If your heart's not in the right place and you're a reluctant giver, if you're feeling greedy, if you feel like, I don't have enough, I need to hold on to all that I have, check your heart, right? That's not the position you want to be in, Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God will give you what you need. Will he give you everything you want? No, that would be unwise. Money is not security. This is one of our biggest struggles, right? Oh, if I just need a little bit more because then, or if I, and, and to a certain extent, it definitely makes sense, right? Has anyone ever, ever been so poor that there was constant stress and fear? I felt it. It's not great, but it's also not real security. Only God provides us with any certainty. John three thirty six. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see this life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Remember, money is not forever. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our real certainty is in this gospel truth. Philippians 1, 21 through 23, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet shall I choose? I cannot tell. Or yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. Now you're thinking, like, wait, is it telling us that we're, we should die? Hey, if, if you are in a position in your life where you aren't, at least to some degree, longing for what's to come, I'd say check your heart again. We can enjoy everything around us, but this is not all we're living for. 
This is not as good as it gets. This is what a, a dim reflection. But before that, he said, if I am to live in the flesh, and I'm telling you all today, you are to live here, okay? Today you are going to stay alive. That means fruitful labor for me. Fruitful labor for me. Our money does not come with us. It can and will be gone. Ecclesiastes 5.10 He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Revelations 18.15-17 We're talking about the city of Babylon here. Um, and I know this, it's the 4th of July, so this might, might ruffle some feathers, but it's like, just think of yourself here, okay? Just imagine that, that this is us. Now, the merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. This is the destruction of Babylon. Your wealth, anything that you value on earth, can and will be gone. But if I am to live in the flesh, I should have labor that is fruitful for me. Working is a good responsibility. 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We are to work. We are made in the image of God, the creator God. We are to work as we've been told to work. And through that, we will continue to care for those around us to show his benevolence. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. This is Timothy talking to churches, like, you've got to work. God isn't just going to carry you along and provide everything you need, and you just get to be as lazy as you want. No, you are made to work. That's what you're going to do. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. I like this one, because the other two are kind of like, if you don't work, come on. But this one, I like this one. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So yeah, we work. We provide for those of our household. We provide for those around us. We work for the Lord. In all that you do, whatever you do, that, does that specify certain things? No. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. How about that for a driver? Right? So as you're, as you're thinking about how am I going to provide for my family, you are working for the Lord. You are fulfilling the purpose that he designed you for. And you're able to share those around you just like he showed you, just like he always does. Our true wealth is our inheritance in Christ. Matthew six nineteen through 21 and 24. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I remember this one's often used to give that, um, that holy austerity approach. Like, you've got to get rid of money in order to love God. No. It says you cannot serve two masters. Is money your master? No. God is your master. Money is a tool given to you by your master to use to do the things your master told you to do. You are not serving money. Money serves you. You serve God. That's a simple priority, isn't it? Right? It's an easy one to forget. John 4, 13 through 14. Jesus said to her at the well, remember, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Okay, so we've got building up for ourselves treasures in heaven and a spring that never dries up. This is our wealth. This is what we live for. Now, I know I've heard people, including me, talk about the need to be distinct in our faith. This is it. I think about how is the world driven? It's driven by fear of the void and desire for power. Right, however you want to rephrase those, reframe them. That's fine. But like, that's all. We're trying to avoid death and conquer life. But that's not what we're living for. We have no fear of death. Why? Because we have a gift. Death has no power over us. Oh, but we, we need to dominate life. Like, no, we don't. Because this life is for now, but our life is beyond. Like, well, this is not where we're here. We are not living for this. This doesn't own us. It doesn't control us. We are free. See, 4th of July, I didn't think that was coming, right? We have genuine freedom. We aren't, we aren't uh, living in fear of death or in fear of poverty. We shouldn't even be living in fear of, like, oh, well, what if I get too rich? Like, you just step aside, right? Set it aside. Humble yourself. Remember where your real inheritance is. Remember what your real job is. You've already been given direction. You know what's important. You know what's not. It's just really easy to forget. Remind yourself. How do, how do we do this? Sublime. <laughs> Humble yourself. Remember what you have and what you don't have. Remember who gives you everything that you need with abundance enough to share. This is the gospel. This is our life. Okay. Revelations 7, 15 through 17. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This wealth is sublime. Okay, you, get, you get a little glimmer of this now. This is our life. This is where you will be. If you put your faith in Christ, if you surrender your life, and he is the king of your heart, this is what we look forward to. This is what we live for. No hunger, no pain, every tear gone. Worshiping a God that is over all. This is our inheritance. So we've got our priorities. We understand the need for humility. We understand the illusion of security and what is real security. We understand the, the positioning that we have in being generous. You know, we have a God that is generous to us. We are generous to those around us. Now I'm going to read a, a, a longer section, 1 Timothy. And I want you to listen for some of these points, this summary. Right, so now again, back to New Testament, right? Let's hear this. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9 and 17 through 19. You know, I'm not cutting out the section that like opposes it. He's just giving direction that's not exactly tied in. So, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let me just pause for a minute for the next section. You heard the verse in there, right? The one that's generally not quite correctly quoted. You ever heard like, oh, the money is the root of all evil? You left out some really important words there. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. What is the real problem? Let's break down the sentence. Is it money? No. The love of money. You cannot serve two masters. Oh, not a problem because money is not a master. If you make money a master, you have now become guilty of idolatry, right? The love of money is idolatry. It will lead to all types of evil. The use of money to serve the true master. Now, as for the rich in this present age, that's you, Americans, charge them not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Did you hear all the, the points in there? Right. Okay, so just hold on to 1 Timothy 6. Like, hey, what should I do with money? How do I think about money? There it is, right? We look through this as a lens. Proverbs is filled with these, these adages, these reminders of the role of money. 
And it helps us to see that the Bible says so much, but it always reinforces the priority. What's our foundation? The rock of salvation. What's our hope? A good God. What's the life that we look forward to? Being one with him. What's our, what's our, uh, our temptation? Serving two masters. Making a tool a master. The idolatry. So now let's just go back one more time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That fear, that yirah, that sublime, that combination of fear and awe. Remember, God isn't just your buddy here to help you out. No. God, just think about it. God. God provides everything you need. He's provided everything that you need for life eternal, for life with him, for life of abundance in meaning now. That's your priority. Money is a tool to make that happen. That's all. I'm done. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Um, wait, was there anything else? No? No, that's it. All right. Hopefully this is going to continue being an inspiring idea. That, that, um, that prayer in um, Proverbs, that I, I wouldn't have so much that I would forget God, or that I would be poor and steal and thus profane God, even that one, think about it. Is that always the way it goes? Like that people get rich and then they forget God, or they get so poor that they have to steal? Have you ever heard about rich people stealing? Yeah, yeah, okay, so it goes all around, right? Why? Because they've put the master in the wrong position. Right? They're serving God. They're serving money instead of God. Okay. So remember the pro, uh, priorities, humility. Our foundation never changes. We have genuine certainty. Live in that. Let that direct how you think about money, how you use money. Right. Okay. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for all of the wisdom throughout this word. I'd ask that you would hold these truths in our heart, that we would, we would have that feeling of Yerah, that fear of the Lord, that understanding that you are everything. We are nothing, and yet you loved us enough to die for us, to bring us closer to you. Let our lives be worshiped to you. Let's keep our priorities straight about all that you give to us. Let us be generous with those around us as a way of continuing to share in your bounty. But I ask that these truths would continue chipping away at the layers that build up on our heart, preparing us to serve in genuine ways throughout our lives. And I ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.